Robert's been on this podcast before, I think. He might have been here uh, even in person. Once. I don't remember being on it. Really? I might have been. I've been on a lot of podcasts. So. Let's search. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, well, let's see. Da, da, da. You were on. That's a different Robert. <laughs> Did you just search for Robert? <laughs> <laughs> Robert Cartano. Is, is it he possible works here. that Robert's goal has never been on a Stack Exchange podcast? It is possible. Well, why don't you do the intro and then we can talk about it on the podcast? You're listening to the Stack Exchange podcast, coming to you from Stack Exchange headquarters with Stack Exchange CEO, Joel Spolsky, Jay Hanlon, David Fullerton, producer Alex. Hello. And special guest, Robert Scoble. Hey, nice to be on. This is podcast episode number 44. So, Robert, who are you? <laughs> I'm a geek who gets around and meets uh, startups and tech innovators. Right now, by the way, I'm inside Flipboard's headquarters in Palo Alto, California. I just saw their... Uh, Right. New uh, stuff coming out in a month or two. So that's what I do. I come around and see uh, new stuff that hasn't hit the market yet and usually take a video of it and put it up and think about what it means for uh, the world, the industry, and for Rackspace where I work. Does it tell me the truth now? Is it sort of an echo chamber? I, I always thought that Flipboard was a classic. Oh, I don't know, like a thing that everybody in Palo Alto knows all about, but nobody outside of Palo Alto ever uses. They have millions of users, and they're not all in Silicon Valley. I guess that's you know, true. They were one of the first killer apps on the iPad. Yeah, and, true. Uh, you know, the iPad has become a uh, pretty interesting little device in the world. I That'll see, never uh, work. Dozens of them every time <laughs> I fly on a plane. So somebody's using these things, and Flipboard usually comes up as one of the top apps on the iPad. On the iPad. And now it's on Android, too, by the way. So Flipboard is essentially a pretty magazine-y uh, Google Reader type client is that right well it takes all your social networks so twitter facebook google plus instagram tumblr and a bunch of others and tries to make that into a magazine that's pleasant to read they also have been doing a lot of partnerships with professional content people or content brands you know uh, new york times and national geographic and rolling stone magazine and stuff like that to create an online magazine house basically or a content house that you uh flip through on your uh, ipad or your android tablet or your phone it always seemed a little bit weird to me you know what it, you know what it felt like to me the first time i, I might be have, i might have been looking at an old version of flipboard but somehow i felt like it was sort of like the in-flight magazine on uzbekistani airlines <laughs> <laughs> well it, it, it's quality does depend on who you follow who on you twitter follow. and on facebook but well, so. what was happening is that, like the, the cap, maybe the you captions, need to increase uh, the quality of your friends no or no but the point it is a little <laughs> bit hard to use and they're working on that and that, that was part of what they're showing that that they're uh, trying to become Easier to use for my dad, for instance. My dad, for instance, doesn't do much Twitter or Facebook. And so if he just opened up Flipboard without me being yeah. involved, he wouldn't see very good content. And you need to know how to add a list or how to add a, a SoundCloud feed or an Instagram feed or a, you know, a Facebook list. And it, it's a little bit hard to figure out. And uh, even when it seems simple, like on an iPad, and you know, somebody like me can figure that out in seconds, but... There's a lot of people out there who are like, what? what what's a Twitter feed? <laughs> yeah. Joel, yeah. Joel, as a side note, I think you should stop liking uh, the It's Just Lunch dating service in Sky Mall. That may be jamming up your experience <laughs> with the application. <laughs> this is the problem. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're heading into a new age where what you liked and who you liked really affects the future of your life online. <laughs> it, it is certainly true. I try to like things that I know I'm actually going to like, although Facebook has gotten... <laughs> <laughs> Somebody write that down. I'm, I'm gonna, I, I need that framed on my office wall. Facebook has gotten remarkably prescient. I, I just sort of freaked out when Facebook started showing me ads specifically for shirtless men with puppies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a little, yeah, just like one degree too accurate. When, when the uh, filters start going crazy and uh -huh. advertising is always fun. Right now it's showing me a Salesforce ad, so... <laughs> that's, uh, that's hopeless. Uh, no, what I meant by the Uzbeki Airlines uh, thing is that they would get a lot of times there would be a picture and the HTML doesn't really tell you what the, what the caption of the picture is. Yeah. And so sometimes they would pull out the wrong thing to use as the caption and then they would like abbreviate it. So it would be like the first five words of an advertisement that had nothing to do with the picture. And the picture would be just the wrong picture because it would suck the wrong picture of the page. 
And it just sort of looked like somebody who didn't read English was in charge of editing this damn thing, which indeed is the case with Flipboard. Somebody, their computer, you know, their, your, your, their code, their algorithms who don't actually really read English all that well, you know, would try to assemble something and it would, you know, 80% of the time would be great. And if you just sort of ignore that, you're used to it, it's fine. But it, if you think of it- It's getting a lot better. I, there's a whole team here. In, in fact, they hired 10 people last week alone here at Flipboard. Wow. There's a whole team here that's working on these filters to figure out how to bring the right thing to you. And I think, it's, you know, and they're not the only ones working on it either. There's Prismatic and uh, uh, CNN has a team that they bought from Zite. And uh, there's, there's a lot of people working on this problem. And Facebook, of course, is working on it with right. their uh, edge rank team, their feed quality team. They're trying to pick 10 or 20 items to show you every time you refresh that browser that you will find interesting and not think is stupid. You yeah. Know? That's how you keep people addicted to your product. Otherwise they leave and go somewhere else. Right. That's actually, I mean, we're actually trying to do the same thing. So I, I won't, um, I won't tease them or throw any stones at their glass houses. What do you think, by <laughs> the way, Robert, what do you think about Facebook search uh, graph search thingamajiggy? I just got it turned on. I like it and I hate it. I think it's the future of search because I, I really want to do my searches that way. Show me, all single people in San Francisco who program Ruby on Rails. Uh -huh. <laughs> but it doesn't let me do it. There's too many edges to it. And I hit too many things that don't bring any results back. Right. And of course, it, it's not hooked up to the full depth of Facebook yet. I, I can't say, uh, show me all items about the PlayStation 4 yet, you know, or show me all items that about the PlayStation 4 that my friends have liked. If I could do that, that would be really magical. You know, they, they're working on it a piece at a time, and they haven't hooked it up to content yet. I feel like they have this graph of all this knowledge of what people do and what people like, and it's really sparse. You don't really notice it because you see, every time you look at Facebook, you see, you're seeing more information. But it doesn't yeah. occur to you that they don't know that, that somebody's a Ruby programmer. That, that person may never have put the fact that they're a Ruby programmer into Facebook anywhere. No, I mean, but you would be shocked at how many people actually do. Let, let me actually try yeah. that. Yeah, so, it, wasn't, it, was getting, it was getting people that are programmers. Who, that work for, like, who program? I got people named Ruby, Ruby who work on Rails. <laughs> let's see if that works. <laughs> people named Ruby don't, don't count. And uh, it's sitting here, and it's slow. Also, that's another problem. Let's see how many I can I can um, find on my on my little career. Yeah, see, it's it's uh, trying to bring things like shopping and retail places. My friends, it it gets confused, you know. So, yeah, friends, we got. Uh, if you actually do the the real search on the Stack Overflow careers, you got sixty two programmers. Yeah. By the way, somebody Wait, that's jobs. I'm looking uh, in the wrong place. Sorry. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but you can't you can't search for singles. That's what he wanted. He I wanted people who are here. single who program in Ruby. Careers has been missing that feature for quite some time. I think technically it's uh, it's illegal to use in hiring decisions, so that might be a reason. Singleness? Try search for singularity. Marital status. Yeah. So yeah, so the the Facebook graph search. I mean, you can see where they're going with it, right? And, and yeah. It, and, it, and it seems really cool. It's just it it isn't quite there yet. right? You get the feeling every time you use it, you're a little bit sad that it, it didn't quite tell you what you wanted to know. Yeah. And in fact, in, in this situation, it's not bringing back even close to what I want, which is friends who program in Ruby on Rails. I'm not even sure. Can I see my friends? They don't. They don't you know program. what? I, I, I just well, say I don't who program, program in Ruby on Rails. But if I did, I, I would not tell Facebook. We got Stack Overflow Careers has 668 Ruby on Rails programmers in San Francisco. So there. And these are actual Ruby programmers. Yeah. Because Facebook just doesn't, it's got all this weird, like wrong likes. It's constantly telling me that, that David liked the Bank of America or whatever, things that are totally not true. <laughs> well, I did that well, because they offered the, me a $5 coupon. If you look coupon. at his like feed, he probably actually did like it at yeah. some point because he got bribed by uh, Bank of America to right. save $20 or get $20 in his checking account he, or something like that. So actually, I did it. find my friends who like Ruby on Rails. So if you ask it for like, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole page of uh, people who... Yeah, uh, there's 12,000 people on Facebook who like Ruby on Rails and lots of my friends uh, like it as well. So it brings back some interesting stuff. Oh. You know, you can do restaurants like my, my friends who like Chinese restaurants in Palo Alto, you know, or who have checked in, stuff like that. But it has too many uh, edges on it. And as the edges disappear, this method of searching and finding things and, you know, places, people and things in Facebook will be very useful. 
I think it needs like a whole new, like a radical leap forward though, because I just think there's not, the, the information isn't, isn't dense enough that you would yeah. ever trust it. You know, it just feels like Alta Vista search. Like, oh, what a coincidence I found, you know, like it might help you, but oh, it's not really going to find I, it. It's pretty harsh. You know, I, I remember when <laughs> this thing called Google came out and, you know, there was Alta Vista and there was Yahoo. And yeah. I had a really popular net meeting website and Yahoo never, ever listed it. So I always hated Yahoo. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Alta Vista always listed me, number one, and my friend's site, number three. And there was a porn site, number two. <laughs> and then Google came out and I was number one and my friend was number two and no porn. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's why I fell in love with Google right away because it, it was right and there was no uh, spammy porn right. shit. You know, they just right. had like none of the garbage and 10 times more results that were yeah. actually closely relevant. And that's what, I think that's where the Facebook would have to go. But they, you know, the number of things that people actually like that they like is, is slim. You know, they see things, yeah. it's just things that came through their feed that they I wanted I think to. when they hook up content, because yeah. people are liking content on Facebook. When they add that, you know, show me all articles about the PlayStation 4 that have 20 or more likes. That mm -hmm. would be really cool. That's interesting. Yeah. Seeing, you know, Chinese restaurants in Palo Alto that my friends like is somewhat cool, but it, it's not as cool as the content piece. And they, they haven't hooked up the content yeah. piece yet. No, that's a really good point. Because you go to a restaurant, how often do you go to their page and like their page? But you might post a, a picture from it or something. And if they can, exactly. they can figure that out, then they start to have a lot more rich information. And if you post a picture of a great meal in, in a Chinese restaurant and it gets a lot of likes from people and from your friends and that gets bubbled up that will be useful because it's not you know i can already figure out which is the popular chinese restaurant on yelp and on google mm -hmm. yeah we can say that it's not really that human or it's the data is a little dirty because of gaming going yeah. on no but, but no uh, restaurants generally it brings back a pretty good list on both of those services but if you start adding in content and likes on top of that, now I can see what meal is going to be best in Palo Alto. And that, that changes the game, I think. Eh. Eh. <laughs> eh. Eh. What did you think of Twitter when it came out, Joel? I didn't like Twitter. Yeah. It was too short. <laughs> <laughs> there was not enough room to type. <laughs> it's still true. I just got it. I'm, I'm in a flame war right now with somebody on Twitter for hosting our own servers for, for Stack Exchange rather than just, you know, putting it directly on Amazon. Which would be cheaper and better, he said. Cloud computing is not necessarily cheaper. It is no. cheaper if you Definitely have spiky cheaper. traffic. If you have very consistent large traffic, it often is cheaper to host your own. Yeah. You know, by the way, yes. this, this is why we believe open source and open stack is so important because you can run it on your own servers or run it on our servers at Rackspace or run it on our own hosted cloud. I think that gives companies a lot more choice on, on where they go in the future. You know, cloud is not for everything. Right. It might be for everybody, but it's not for everything. And cheaper is not the only variable here, right? I mean, one of the things yeah. we want is control and access, particularly at a, a time Fine when that may be limited. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. I, and openness is going to be a, a big, big problem in the future, you know? I've, I've always said that people that are going to, you know, Heroku or Amazon or whatever are actually buying, they're paying, and they're getting this sort of abstraction of a layer that they just are willing to say, listen, I'm going to pay a little bit extra money, and I don't care enough about that particular thing, the hosting, because, you know, I'm going to differentiate myself somewhere else. There's, there's some other thing that I care about, or because I'm small and I'm a startup. But it's not, uh, you, you imagine if Facebook was just hosted on AWS, that would be, <laughs> they, would, they would have like, you know, they would need 10 times the infrastructure. They'd never be able to do the things. Yeah, I've been inside a Facebook data center. It's a 300,000 yeah. square foot data center. And I think they have four or five of them now, right? Probably. They're, they're building their own servers Doing now, stuff they? like yeah. graph search for a billion people takes a lot of computing power. Right. And that's cheaper when you have consistent high traffic to, to build your own. Right. Otherwise, Facebook you know, yeah. would have gone on to Amazon or Rackspace or some right. other It's a question of, like, are you big enough to hire several of your own system administrators and have that just be kind of a rounding error on the profit and loss statement, right? Like it doesn't, you know, so what? So we have four system administrators, big deal. That doesn't, you know, cost us very much relative to, you know, everything that we do around here. And there's, but for you know, a small there's company, that's a big deal. Too. I, you know, your database server, you might want on the fastest machine you can afford right. or a series of machines, you know, bare metal machines that you control, but your images, it might not be as important to have high uh, 
availability and you know low latency uh, machines for those, so you could put those up on cloud computing. Yeah, and we've seen lots of companies do that, where they host a couple of machines themselves that that are really key to their business, and then everything else is out on cloud. So, Robert, you're writing a book with Shell Israel. Yeah, which has been well covered of all the unpublished books. It certainly got on. You're, you're sort of doing all the marketing in advance. Book coming well, out. we're doing the content out in public. We, you know, yeah. I believe in open source, and uh, I believe open source or open approaches improve everything you do. So we're posting, like today, we're going to post the interview I did yesterday with uh, Mark Andreessen, and so you can see that, and and you can tell me, oh, you should have asked this question or or mm-hmm. whatnot, and then you'll see the chapters as we write them, and you know, and and other material that we put up, and you'll, yeah. so you'll see that way in advance of the book coming out and that helps improve the book because people people have already written us and said you know oh did you know the nfl is doing a contextual system no i didn't know that and i wouldn't have known that if we hadn't done this in open right so the entire book will effectively be available online before you start collecting any money for it yeah well we've already gotten paid for the book so you know (laughs) that's It's pretty nice. We have several sponsors from Microsoft to Betaworks to Rackspace. Uh, there's a whole list that we put up on our blogs. So we already have enough money to produce the book. But I mean, from the customer perspective, you, customers will still buy the ebook, I assume. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. They'll they'll be buying it on uh, Amazon or wherever they want their book to be bought. <laughs> we'll be there. But yeah, we did this uh, with our first book, and Shell and I wrote Naked Conversations about seven or eight years ago now, which was all about social software and corporate blogging. And we put every chapter up before it was published, and we still sold 40,000 copies. Yeah, you definitely, you certainly, you're going to sell more copies. I I know that. I did that for my own book, and it was A-Press's bestseller, and it was just my blog article sort of reselected. You know, one of the advantages is I, I could go back you know, I would write a blog article, and if I misspelled something or made a typo or just got something gratuitously wrong, I could then either leave it out of the book or rewrite it or cover it up in some way yeah, somehow. We're actually using uh, Guy Kawasaki, who just wrote a book on self-publishing uh, called mm-hmm. APE, A-P-E, Author, Publisher, Entrepreneur. Mm. And he found thousands of errors in the book by putting the chapters up and letting everybody, you know, mm-hmm. uh, copy edit them or uh Fact checked them in public, and and that's absolutely true. Uh, on our first book, one guy grammar checked the whole book, <laughs> you know, yeah. and fixed dozens of problems. You know, cool. Joel, Joel, thanks to your clever comments on, uh, I think our our sysadmins being rounding errors. Uh, every one of them has asked for a raise already, so oh. we're, we'll be we'll be working on that. They're for very next sad right now. <laughs> we're trying to make them happier. Uh-huh. So, so wait, tell tell us a little bit more about what the what the book's about. Yeah, so it's called uh, Age of Context. So I, I started seeing a pattern by interviewing all these executives last year that the number of sensors on us or around us is going up exponentially. So I'm yeah. starting, you know, we're all seeing things like Basis Watch, Fitbits, uh, Jawbone Up, the Nest thermostat has a sensor in it. Uh, Our iPhone, cell phone has, has like, I think, seven sensors in it. Um, yeah. And so the number of sensors is going up exponentially. Then I started hearing about the Google Glass project, you know, and we are seeing a whole bunch of wearable computers. So wearable computers are going up exponentially. You know, big data is... So databases are increasing in size, increasing in quantity, and increasing in computation. So there's a whole database innovation thing going on. And then social media data keeps going on. Uh, Twitter is close to a billion tweets a day right now, and it's doubling every 12 or so months. And so is Facebook, so is Google+, so is uh, Pinterest, right? Pinterest just got $200 million yesterday of investment. Why? Because their numbers Crazy. are going up exponentially. Yeah. And location data is going up exponentially. The amount of data about our world that we're walking through is going up every day. And so you add those five things together and it lets you build contextual systems. Uh, for the customer, systems are going to get more personalized. You're going to sit in your General Motors car and it's going to go, hey, Joel. <laughs> yeah. And it's going to know where you want to go because your cell phone will have already told the car where where your next appointment is going to be, right? And it also is going wait, to be- Wait, wait a minute. Who cares if my car knows where I'm going to go? What's it going to do? Is it going to drive me there? <laughs> well, eventually. <laughs> 
15 years from now, we will have self-driving cars. But right now, I have to sit there for two minutes and punch in my Toyota navigation system. I can't you know, even get I can't even get Alex to tell me where I'm supposed to go next. And that's his job. <laughs> oh, that's why. <laughs> oh, really? The cloud is going to replace you know, Alex. I, I do. I do that now, though. Whenever we go somewhere, I use my Android phone for the navigation. One second. You know, the Google Now tells me when where the next appointment is, and I just yeah. tap it, and it's Google. Navigation. Google does some crazy stuff. I just got an, an Android phone to play with my first Android fo- device, and it's kind of creepy sometimes. You uh, mm-hmm. you you search, you just search on on any device for a location, and all of a sudden your phone pops up with directions to get there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's pretty it's pretty cool, and it knows well how the traffic it's is. A, so that's what Tempo is to supposed to do too, right? The yeah. And in fact, I I use Tempo to get here to Flipboard. So on my Google Calendar, I just put Flipboard. And yeah. on Tempo, I click on it, and it actually filled in the address of Flipboard's headquarters. What the heck uh, is Tempo? Tempo is a new iPhone, I- iOS app. Uh, it was developed by SRI, which made Siri before it was sold. Oh. Yep. And this lab is the number one lab in Silicon Valley. It, it invented HDTV. It invented the mouse. It invented uh, haptic feedback for electronic surgery and all sorts of other fun stuff. Uh, so this is an important lab. And so when it does something, it, it usually is pretty interesting to pay attention to. But it's looking inside my email, inside my calendar, inside my contacts. And then it's also using the web to look up addresses uh, and other things. And it pulls that context up and builds a report for each calendar item. And it's really pretty good, including for conference calls. So one thing I used to hate about conference calls is you always had to put the pin in. And if you're driving, it's really dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) Now all I do is click one button and it does the phone number and then it automatically puts in the pin number. And it's really cool. I thought you you were going to say you just get get it to drive the car while you type in the pin. (laughs) Sergey hasn't given me one of those yet. (laughs) I hope I'm alive to actually have my own self-driving car because I, I think they're really cool, but uh, is, I, I think they're 15 years away before they're affordable for me. Is there any doubt that in anyone's mind that Joel is envisioning Kit from Knight Rider right now? It, it's the only possible explanation. <laughs> <laughs> He's put on a leather jacket and a strange curly-haired wig. It's uh... it, it's funny you joke about that. One of my <laughs> friends had, a, you know, when I worked at Microsoft, I, one of my friends had a, a car that you could talk to seven years ago and then get it to do things like navigate or play music. And so it's just now that the this stuff is starting to actually work, you know, in uh, yeah. a real way for the That's an important part. I've I've always had a car that I could talk to, but I couldn't yeah. get it to do things when I, I talked to it. My car no. has refused to play music for me for years when I talk to it. This is an old <laughs> idea. The uh I like it when it's a little bit more passive. Like I like it when the auto search um suggestions, you know, as you start typing and it comes up with search suggestions. I like it when those are sort of intelligent, like they're actually sort of identifying that you might be searching for something that's physically close to you. And, yeah. you know, they bring that up higher in the auto search suggestions. I don't know if I, you know, one thing I'm afraid of is if I write down that I have an appointment at Google or something and it then, you know, books me a, a flight to the wrong city because when it looked up Google, it found their Edinburgh office. There's, there's a certain amount of like human knowledge that does have to be applied in those things. Those, the automated things always get like ninety percent. That's what SRI is doing. That's really interesting. They're looking through your email to figure out where you really are talking about, mm. and they're trying to find that in your email conversations back and forth. Because if I made an appointment with Joel to have lunch, yeah. we would probably have discussed what city and what restaurant and and all that. Because I know, you know, hu- human wise, he's in New York and I'm in Silicon Valley, so. Yeah. I need but to be clear about stuff. that with Joel. Look, <laughs> if I tell you, let's go to Irving Farm, then there's, there's three branches. And... and we might be meeting at South by Southwest. So we would have written, <laughs> you know, hey, are you going to be at South by Southwest? Yeah, I'm going to be there. No, oh, should, should we go there's to no Barbecue? Yeah, should, we should go to Lockhart, Texas. You know? <laughs> so, I'm going to try it. it. I it actually is really good work. about seeing that conversation and pulling the right thing out of the conversation. But false positives are really a problem for them. Right. They work hard at not getting them. But I do see a few false positives, but they're pretty obvious when they're false positives. You can't get it yet, Joel. The tr- you know what? <laughs> I don't know. It's sort of like the first things that happened when they, the first generation of spell checkers was sort of context free and they would correct and autocorrect words into other words that were correctly spelled, but were nevertheless the wrong word in that context. And it became even harder to proofread because you didn't see a word, you know, that just ended in a G-H-L-Q. You saw an actual English word, and it took a lot more brain cycles to discover as you proofread that, that you had actually just simply typed the wrong word because 
It had autocorrected into something that was a right word. A, a proactive guessing engine can't be 90% right. It's infuriating, right? It's yeah. got to be higher. It yeah. makes it look It makes it look better. So if I put down an appointment and I say, I want to meet at Irving Farm and there's three of them, and you then go look that up and you give me the one that's closest to me because that makes the most sense, but it's not actually the one either of us intended because we meet at Irving Farm all the time, and yet it nevertheless steers me to the wrong Irving Farm. And But, but then it's telling me the address and it looks so definitive and I'm like... Did I put the address in there or did and you it, just figure this out? And it drives out? itself. You just get in and then... That you have no choice. The car will not unlock until you get... The seatbelt fastens. You are forced. It's like... But that's, this, is just, this is just always a saying. It's, it's still, early, still early times, right? Early I mean, times. It, it'll get there, though. You can, see, you can kind of see where it's going. And uh, some know. of it will work and some of it won't. And the things that work will be surprising. All right. What else is... Uh, what, what other cool things are you seeing, Robert? Well, you know, I'm I'm waiting for these Google glasses. But, oh uh, yeah, that was they, <laughs> they they sort of announced yesterday that people can apply for them. It's an essay contest. <laughs> oh yeah. man, there's a whole range of of health things c coming out. You know, I have a basis watch on me that measures my heart rate and watches my activity level and stuff like that. If you match that up with an app called uh, Moves on the iPhone, which watches uh, how far I walk or run or drive. And it's starting to build a list of places and things I do in my day. It, it's starting to become interesting that you can start to learn more about what you what you do and that motivate yourself to change your behavior. So you lose weight and stuff like that and get, get healthier. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but there's a whole range of them from the Nike Fuel Band to the Fitbit to the Jawbone Up to the uh, Basis right. Watch. The Basis Watch just came out a month ago, and it, it's uh, pretty interesting because it has a sensor that watches your heart rate and stuff. So it watches if you've actually exercised or not, and it gives you some goals. Cool. What else is cool that's lately? Uh, Tempo certainly was uh, one of them that, that most people still aren't, aren't able to get. They have a waiting list to try out the Tempo really? uh, calendar. Mailboxes in the same area if you're on the oh, yeah. iPhone. You know, you try the Mailbox app, which uh, replaces your uh, email app, and it's really nice. I can't use it personally because I use a lot of labels. And Mailbox doesn't yet support those properly. Um, the Mailbox waiting list is my new favorite iPhone game. I check it every day, and the numbers are always getting better. I have a small sense of achievement on a daily basis. I well, think it's well, awesome. Really? Why are they? Why are they not? Are they just trying to artificially create scarcity so as to no, create? No, th these things take a lot of processing power, and you know, th these things are growing so quickly. For instance, how long did it take Twitter to get to thirteen thousand users? Oh, it's fifteen years. No, it took six six months, right? It was a lot. So it, Four score, it took, roughly. <laughs> it took six months for Twitter to get to 13,000 users, and Twitter had scaling issues for four yeah. years, even with that growth rate, right? Yeah. Um, well, it was, don't forget so, that Twitter was useless because it was an SMS app. Tempo got to 13,000 users the first hour it was out. <laughs> so Let's yeah. talk Mailbox. I had, there mailbox. are... 319,000 people still in front of me. Holy That's moly. down from 570,000-ish when I started, and there are 490,000 behind me in line. Yeah. Yep. And it's only been out, what, a week? You should, you <laughs> you should know, sell your spot in line. A week and a half, maybe, get that? 10 days. <laughs> now now yeah. I want it. I, I was not knowing what all exactly. the fuss was about. If half a million people want it, I so must I, want it. You, I, I have to download the app to get on the waiting list. Right? It's just it a waiting list good. app. Yeah. And that's the right. And that's uh, the we problem should make is, waiting lists now that we yep. have Twitter and Facebook and Google Plus <laughs> and LinkedIn and all these things to talk to each other, we can find out something's hot within an hour, right? Yeah. And um, and we all want it. Hey, <laughs> these we are all want um, it at once. These and are the flash mobs from Larry Niven. A, quite a different scaling problem than Twitter had to deal with, and Twitter still had extreme scaling problems, and still still does really today. You know. By the way, Joel, don't yeah. joke about that because just but like LaunchRock made a business out of like making waiting pages for startups <laughs> based on mailbox, I guarantee you someone is working on making like a, a Y Combinator startup. Make a, yeah, there's probably a Y Combinator start making make a waiting list app for your app. You know right. what we should do this for? Why waste time on waiting list apps? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I was talking to Mark Andreessen yesterday and we were joking around about the Tesla and how, how the Tesla was being was tracking every movement that that New York Times uh, reporter yeah. uh, was doing in the car. And, and he's saying, I'm sort of now suggesting to every entrepreneur that they instrument their app that way so that you know everything about everything about what people are doing with your app but you know what the other side of that story is that no single uh, reviewer makes that much of a difference anymore i mean if you look at 
take something like, I know Trello, if you search for Trello reviews, you yeah. won't find, you know, it's not like the Wall Street Journal reviews it anymore. Mossberg didn't review it. But you'll find 300 people sitting and working using Trello, writing their personal reviews of Trello. Yeah. So there's such a dispersion of reviews that it's not like everything depends on the New York Times review being, being correct the first time. No, there's there are two reviewers that still do matter. Yeah, <laughs> I think Pogue and Mossberg but, matter. Pogue and Mossberg. No, 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 not them anymore. It's like the, the guy who works at Apple or a girl who who decides what's going to get featured in the store oh, matters yeah. a lot because that person can get you ten thousand new users a day, if, right. if not more. Right. And the same thing at at the Android store, the Play Store. <laughs> so the Whoever decides what's going to get featured has a lot of power. You're telling over me that there's no corruption. Your future in, in success. That. that sounds like a great opportunity for the mafia. Well, actually, we we met the guy who does that. Oh, th did? there's lots of corruption. But, you know, if, if Apple gets corrupted, then they start putting stupid stuff in the store and everybody notices that. And so their power would go down. And, yeah. and so far, they've resisted uh, that kind of corruption. But there is a different kind of corruption that they put in the industry. They reward apps that are uh, Apple only. And so does Amazon, by the way. In fact, with our book, we're probably going to be Amazon only for the first three months because they give only. you yeah. a lot of benefits you know, if you decide to go Amazon only for a few months. I think that makes sense for a know. book. They have like 80%, 90% of the e-reader, don't they? I mean, being Kindle only is probably safe. I actually only read iBooks because I don't like switching apps, which is dumb. I have an Amazon app. I yeah, just, I like having it all you, in one you're place. You're like just dumb. Devices. You just hold your iPad. No, I literally have a Kindle app on my iPad and I just prefer not to have two libraries. Oh, uh, what? Well, you chose the wrong one. <laughs> you're no, I like their page. I like the page turn navigation. Oh my God. Uh, animation, rather. <laughs> now, all the books you buy are locked into that because well, of the you're page You're going to have to wait three months what to read Robert's What do you mean locked into that? I going to make an EPUB format and carry it around my pocket. It, it doesn't really matter. You, you get to the idea, though, that app developers have to decide their marketing strategy. Are they going to be Apple only for a few months to get the goodies? And uh, book publishers yeah. have, have to do the same thing. I have to decide, do I screw you uh, if you want to read me on the uh, iBook app? And I probably will, because <laughs> like you said, a Amazon has most of the market. You know what, Robert, you should do is make an audible audio book, because we hear they're wonderful. I, I will probably do that, too. Yep. It is, um, it is sort of frustrating to programmers who are a key audience here that there's this whole political game you have to play to get distribution that they don't even understand and they don't really want to think about. Like what marketing is today is so far into programmers. There's all this stuff about like trying to game to get in the top 10 charts and you know, buying downloads in order to get on the top 10 charts. And it's just a lot of sort of... Yeah, and if you do that wrong, you get stupidity. banned, right? So yeah. There's a gray area there, yeah. and then there's a black area, and some people are tempted to go too deep into the gray area. Yeah. You know, I just met with a bunch of bloggers up in uh, Sun Valley, and we were talking about buying Twitter followers, which you can do, by the way. But the, waste but of time. When you, when you buy Twitter though. followers, they're extraordinarily low-quality uh, are you followers. kidding? They're all tens on OK. They would be tens on OK Cupid. They're beautiful women. Exactly. They're not real people. <laughs> I, I was. I gotta tell the story again. I was looking for a house cleaning service in New York, and I found one that finally had like five stars on Yelp. Right, whatever the maximum was on Yelp. So I thought that seemed good, and they got all these good reviews on Yelp that looked like they were written by real people. And then they went to their homepage, and it said that they had I don't know fifteen hundred Facebook followers. And I thought, this is a little cleaning service in New York. They have five reviews on Yelp or 10 reviews on Yelp. How do I have 1,500 Facebook followers? That's not a reasonable number of Facebook or likes for cleaning service in New York. And I clicked on it, and it looked like, you know, an ad for classmates.com, right, with just a whole bunch of beautiful women, uh, like little tiny pictures that it was just very, very unlikely to be their clientele. Uh, <laughs> and it occurred to me that they had just hired some CEO, scum, scummy person, who had bought them a whole bunch of fake followers on Facebook, bought them a whole bunch of likes, bought them a whole bunch of fake Twitter followers, and then written, you know, 10 fake reviews for Yelp. Why are fake followers hot women? They just are. Why, why not? There, there are certain algorithms that the Facebooks and the Twitters will use to try to detect fake people. And they look to see that there's a certain amount of content. So the people have to be posting regularly and they have to be posting real things. And they have to have a picture, not just a little egg. And so... They, they randomly, for whatever reason, I don't know why they're all beautiful, um, but that's what they are. <laughs> Those are just the stock photos. That... Yeah, they just get stock photos. Where are you going to find stock photos of ugly people? Uh, yeah, maybe that's, what, maybe that's why. Those don't <laughs> exist. You Let can't find can those. You can only buy stock this. photos of beautiful people. I've looked um, into this. <laughs> 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 ugly stock photos. 
Uh, that's a good business for OkCupid, actually, now as a side business. They can make some money, right? Because <laughs> yeah. they know who's beautiful and who's not. Everybody's rated. Oh, dear. I think people, if, if they really wanted to get noticed, they should hire a professional photographer. That, that will make them look a lot more beautiful. <laughs> uh, well, you'll definitely get better dates on OkCupid, that's for sure. Yep. Anyways, what else is going on? I don't know. What else is on our, what's on our agenda here? Google Chrome just came out, a Chromebook, a new $1,300 Chromebook with a high-resolution screen, touchscreen. Yeah, forget that. Don't care. Yeah, I don't either. I'm I'm saving my money for the Google Glass. Yeah, they, they just yeah. they just announced you can enter a competition to win the honor of buying a fifteen hundred dollar pair of glasses. I don't really get Who, the, the who's Google. Who's gonna Chrome, wear Google that's Glass? Like that. I am. No, I know you. If you, you already are. wear glasses, <laughs> if you could get your prescription glasses built into it, it what? doesn't look bad. That's not how it I, but works. it looks ridiculous you know, just this on sounds, its own. This has a little bit to me of like the Segway feel. If it does something amazing and interesting and novel and useful potentially. But I think the vast majority of people are going to be like, huh? It, it feels very... Uh, I agree uh, with you, but I'm there. still buying one. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I am not surprised. <laughs> I'm, that I'm feels like the easiest problem it. to solve, though. It's what? The, the, the how it looks feels like an easy problem to solve. Like that, the fact that it's got this big bulky thing over your ear, that, that's going to go away in a few years. I mean, well, this, you know, you bring up a good point. This could be the Apple Newton, right? Where it really is a great idea, but it will take another 10 years for it to be perfected and, and, and for culture to change. Yeah. And for the parts to get miniaturized even further and cheaper and better quality and all that. But uh, this is one of those products where I, I feel like there's a, a, real, a real shift coming. And um, uh, it, it'll do a lot of fun stuff uh, that a cell phone doesn't. And you're, you're already seeing them pitch it that way. Yesterday, they released a bunch of videos where they show what the UI looks like and how it lets you take video from a first-person perspective. This is like a new GoPro camera. I, if I was at GoPro, I'd really be watching this and going, hmm, how is this going to change the uh, wearable camera industry? You know, The YouTubers are super excited about this. I I totally am. Yeah, and by the way, they're they're not the only ones. Uh, you know, two Stanford students showed me a pair of glasses with a 1080p camera in it that looked even smaller than the uh, Google one because it didn't have a display. And they said you could stream probably an hour and a half of video with one battery charge. Wow. Um, and I've seen uh, at CES, I saw a guy who built a prototype with two 1080p cameras, so it does 3D, and for less than two thousand dollars. And he said. If he could get it up to any decent quantity, he could get them down. You know, the cost of the of the TI chipset he's using is is not that much, so you could get them down to three, four hundred dollars or less, mm -hmm. depending on the quantities. And so, you know, you take that out two or three years. What does this mean? We're going to have cameras in our world that we can't even detect. They're going to be that small, and uh, you're going to be yeah. recorded. And you're not even going to know. It's been making me crazy how often I see the cameras around me. I just yeah. constantly just wishing constantly that they would be. not be visible to me. There's all kinds of other little subtle things. Like Facebook is now checking people in when they use the free Facebook Wi-Fi at cafes in San Francisco. Yeah. Facebook provides free Wi-Fi in San Francisco. And they're just like, plunk, guess what? You're checked in. <laughs> I, I feel like Facebook now has interns like scurrying around watching me go places so they can keep track of it. <laughs> yeah. Feeding that graph. And yet they don't know anything. <laughs> they no, they're, they're, know feeding, they're finding ways they, to feed that graph. Well, I mean, they got to figure out who's back. a Ruby programmer in San Francisco. Well, they're, that's, they're, they'll get there. I'll get there. Yeah, it'll do other things. I mean, I, you know, because you wear it on your face, uh, augmented reality actually will work. You know, I was down at Qualcomm and they, they have a whole team working on augmented reality where you point your camera at a magazine, for instance, and something pops out of the magazine, a virtual you know, monster or whatever. And um, the problem <laughs> is terrifying. when you hold a uh, cell phone in your hand, it's very jittery because you can't hold that cell phone very steady. And right. with, when you put something on your on your head, your head is steady cam. We have 100 million years of evolution in our head to steady cam our eyes. Ah. And so that kind of stuff is going to be very steady and look pretty good. And also, as we walk around and look at a box of Cheerios, things can pop on our screen and, you know, tell us stuff about it. You know, tell us that, that, that box of cereal is no, no not very good or is good. I'm gonna, I, got, I need a way to attach my iPhone to my head now. Well, you know, <laughs> by the way, Apple is working on wearable computers. The, the watch just got... Oh, yeah, that's right. They there's just... a bunch of Apple patents on the iWatch, but I know Apple's working on a wearable screen as well. They're just behind. Now... 
why are they behind? You know, they're, Apple has really great supply chain, really great yeah. uh, retail distribution, really great design. What don't they have? They don't know about our world. The Apple Maps absolutely sucks. And it mm -hmm. sucks in San Francisco. So if it sucks in San Francisco, oh, yeah. I know it sucks in uh, the middle of Africa. Oh, right? you should have seen. I was in Rio de Janeiro, <laughs> somebody, and it was unbearably ridiculous. Somebody almost died in Australia because of it. But yeah. to Did be you read fair, that article? Uh, right, people regularly. It drove them to the middle of the desert. Yeah. Like, it, it does suck, but it sucks. But Google has been sending human beings out mapping the entire planet, right? Yeah. Yep. In cars and on cars. foot for a decade. Yeah. Yep. And so the problem isn't that they blew it as much as yeah. they just couldn't do it right. It takes a decade of people yep. <laughs> yeah. traversing right. the streets. And, and they knew that. Well, they they knew that. And, and they're starting to sense we're heading into a new era of product design where it's not how it looks, but it, it's what it does, what it knows about us, yep. what it knows about our world. And they needed to cut that link between Google and uh, Apple's databases yeah, because sure. otherwise they would have a major dependency on a competitor yeah. who obviously wouldn't treat a competitor as well as they treat themselves, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so that, that's I, for sure. I don't know. I, you know. I don't see good things for Apple. And, and by the way, Andreessen doesn't see good things. And, and I was on a panel of four analysts last night at a tablet conference, and they don't see good things. They really are starting to wonder if Tim Cook is the right guy to lead Apple. Well, I don't know if it's Tim Cook's fault, but one of the things I'm noticing is that Apple no longer has the best of breed app in any category. So literally every app on your iPhone is now replaced by something. So what does that tell you? Yeah. They don't have the best software guys in the in the industry uh, and they don't know yeah. enough about yeah. us anymore. Yeah. They don't know my email, they don't know my calendar, they don't know my searches, they don't know my social behavior. So they don't know my buying behavior. You look at who knows who I am. Yeah. Amazon, Facebook, Google are in the top three. That's the triumvirate of companies that are set up well for this next age. Mm -hmm. And a Apple, I you know, I'm probably going to buy a watch, but you know, I don't know. I they could still they, they could still make the hardware. Listen, even if if they're just making it's going to be beautiful, sexy an awesome hardware. Platform. But yeah. And and they'll make lots of profits. I mean, yeah. I, you know, their profits are un, unparalleled. But yeah, you know, I'm talking about the future and and where I'm going. I, I'm switching to Android I, for this reason. Mm -hmm. You know, Google now is the coolest thing I've seen. Yeah. And I, on my Nexus Seven tablet, it's like, wow, that thing nailed a use case that Apple hasn't nailed. And and I don't see a way for Apple to nail that. Apple forbids its employees from being on social media. So how how is that culture? <laughs> that is it's a, true. You're not a if you work at Apple, you yeah. are not allowed to tweet or Facebook or blog on behalf of your company. Yeah. So you wouldn't be able to do what Joel does on his own blog, right? And yeah. So how is that culture of thousands of people going to be shift? fair? I should I should institute such a rule actually here at the Stack Exchange. Yeah. No more tweeting. <laughs> we've been no we've been Facebooking. mulling Your it over activity might go up uh, <laughs> but it might go down too nah. you know like you, we talked about getting people in the flow state you know <laughs> poking around on facebook might might be the trigger that gets people in the flow state we actually you know um something i tweeted which i didn't have time to t talk about it in more depth is that when we we have this annual performance kind of thing where we uh, try to figure out if everybody's getting paid appropriately and we look at a long list of things that they do that they that they do or don't do and that they can or they can't do. And we try to figure out, you know, what are some things that as a developer make you worth more money? And then we pay you more money because we feel like we kind of have to, besides it being the right thing to do. And one of the things that I tweeted about is like, look, being a famous programmer for, for what it means to be famous in the programming world is you blog, you have an open source toolkit that everybody uses, you've written a book, you speak at conferences, you know, or you're just sort of well-known because of some project that you did before. Um, all of those things, you know, whether I want them to or not, they do actually increase your market value because people have heard of you and recruiters find you more often because you're coming up in more Google searches and people are thinking like, hmm, who could I hire to do X? You're going to come up and those uh, add to your market value. So I actually think that we have no choice but to actually pay people more for blogging and pay people for being in conferences and pay people for writing books. Yeah. We don't do it that directly, but it's just sort of, it's one of the things that, you know, we kind of add them up. And $10 per blog post. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not, it, it's not that simple. It's more 13 like, 13 cents per tweet. It depends like, on how many click-throughs we yeah. know. It's number like, of characters. First of all, we absolutely have to encourage you to be active in the community and to be well-known, even though yeah. in the long run, that can hurt us because that's essentially going to get you other jobs, but there's just no choice. And once you do that, then we're, we're, we're forced 
by your famousness to uh, pay you more. And it's good for us. I mean, yep. it, it makes yep. us look good, I guess, in the long run. You know, everybody wants to be at a company where they yeah. empower you to be better. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So let's take it to Google and Apple. Google is doing R&D in public with these glasses. Yeah. Uh, Apple is not. I, I haven't seen anybody wear no. an Apple watch around. Oh, no way, so no way. What that does would that be mean? Fireable. I saw Sergey talking to people about these wearable computers and getting ideas for them and getting feedback and letting people try them on and seeing how they react to them. Yeah. That kind of R&D is hard work and is going to lead to a better product and it's going to lead to a better understanding of the world. So I don't get how Apple is going to catch up with its secrecy and its lack of social media expertise mm -hmm. into this new world where, you know, I want my watch to know things about where I am and, and tell me stuff and augment my life. Yeah. I think part of the Apple historical approach there too, though, and I, I don't know if they can continue it, was Steve Jobs had sort of that, you know, the people joke about the reality distortion field. The notion was people would believe that a device was whatever he said it was. And I think part of the reason they were so secretive then is... They wanted to present it in the context of his narrative, and he would say it's magical. It's not just a giant iPhone. Don't call it that. And I think one question is, can, can Cook do that the same way? And do they need to? No. Would they be getting more out of it if they were getting more input earlier on? Yeah, he's definitely not that kind of person. The, the belief in Silicon Valley is his grade is going down by the day. And, you know, he came out of the supply chain, you know, which is really important. Understanding how that supply chain works is really important. But he's yeah. not... He's never done anything in his life to make me think he's a technologist or a visionary or, uh, or a futurist or somebody who's going to, you know, be creative and come up with a right. new idea. I, right. uh, you know, I listened to him a couple of times. I went to the last couple of press conferences and he just doesn't inspire me that the way that Jobs did. You know, Jobs really did inspire me. And for a couple examples, uh, with Flipboard, I'm, I'm sitting here in the office of Flipboard. Steve Jobs visited Flipboard and talked with them and understood what it was all about. Has Tim Cook done that to any startup? I, I haven't heard of that. And Steve Jobs also got Siri before anybody else did and begged the team to come to Apple, called them 30 times in the first month. Yep. Almost every day he would call the team and go, can you come to Apple? I'll do anything it takes. They and also, um, the touch technology was also acquired. The whole touchscreen, which made iPhone happen, yeah. was a team that they bought. And I think that sometimes Apple is historically, I mean, even going down to, you know, going to Xerox Park and seeing the wimp, like they have this idea that we got to keep our eyes out and, and find these things before anybody else finds them and then buy them and make them and then, and then productize them. Yeah, and was, when, when was the last acquisition that was really interesting? Uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, or it was rumored that they were going to buy Waze, but they just didn't get it done. Yeah. And even with the Apple TV, we keep hearing rumors about the TV, but they're not able to sign the content deals. In other words, Tim Cook is too... Uh, too timid. He's not willing to spend the $120 billion. I'm sure if you go into yeah. uh, you know, Discovery Channel's office and start pulling billion-dollar bills and laying them on the table until they cry <laughs> uncle, at, at some point, that pile becomes big enough that they go, okay, they don't even have to. They don't have to <laughs> yeah. do that. Look, they could do what Netflix did. They can just do one series. Create one series. Well, that's, uh, that costs $100 million to do one series. Is that what, but is that what has a card Apple, cost? Apple wants to do bigger things than one series. You know, they, Steve Jobs wanted to disrupt things and, and change the world. I, yeah. And I just don't get that signal from Apple right now. I, yeah. And, you know, it, we'll see if it comes back. But it's starting to become noticeable. And I, I think that's why the market's reacting the way it is. That's the way, you know, there's a malaise online. I'm watching Facebook. People are here. Hold on a second. Let me, let me find something. Uh, the Verge just wrote about the iWatch, which looks pretty lame, actually. Um, but, you know, Julian Blinn is like, I totally am in love with Google Glass, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and I see this over and over and over again, that at least Google's getting us to dream. Now, we, we might agree that it's not going to go mainstream, you know? Uh, he said, I am obsessed with Google Glasses. Smartphones and tablets are kind of a thing of a past already, in my opinion. And he, he worked for Samsung, right? So it might, be this, it might be the segue, though, Robert. It might be like you put it on and there's, some, there's something wrong. People laugh at you too much. There's the, something. The like, segue looked awesome until you saw dudes riding around on it. And you're like, I don't know what makes them look so dorky, <laughs> but there's something wrong. Yeah. I, I don't there, think there it's There might uh, be a sociological I, thing I have enough that somehow friends now who this. wear them and... 
to a person, they say, I, I really miss them when, when I don't have them on. Yeah, but you live um, in, you do live in a, a bit of a, a, a place where it's okay to wear technology. <laughs> yeah, you know, but uh, the, the it rest might get, of the world It might get out to the real world and people might find that they just get, they just get laughed at or, I don't know. I'll we'll know in a few months. I mean, the, yeah. but the segue, I mean, I don't I'll remember exactly, even if but, you laugh um, at me, so I don't, I really don't care about that. Um, I've, I've never been No, I don't either, but most that. people do. But the thing I care about is, do they have utility? Do they augment my life? Right. Do they make my life in, more interesting yeah. in some way? Do they help me beat you? You know, because we are in competition with each other. I, mm-hmm. You know, it's not often talked about. But for instance, if I want to go to a famous restaurant in Palo Alto tonight and we both want to go there, there's w- maybe one table available tonight. Who, who gets it first? Not the guy who's got to move his hands to order it. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and... You know, I've I've been on a plane, for instance, and and sitting on a tarmac, and I was watching um, Trip It, yeah. and it said the plane is going back to the gate, and there's one other plane going out of town. I got one of three seats on that plane because I had the information five minutes before the pilot came on air and said we're going back to the gate. That's what Waze has got all that data. That's what Waze is full of, all that like little extra useful data. I wonder if they could ever um, expand Waze beyond just traffic. Give yeah. you more like get ahead in life data. Um, we're we're running kind of late. Let me just see if the guys here have anything on their list to talk. About. Anything we got on our podcast? That we have to talk. We have about. a user question. We have a user question. We got a user question. All right, let's let's do it. Let's entertain a user question. So our our user submitted question. 19. A list a listener from a prior week submitted. Do we have a user identifier here? I don't think we do. Twenty seven. Steven. 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 Okay. So let's call him Steven. So user Steven submitted a question saying, I just posted a, a relatively beginner question on Stack Overflow, yada, yada, yada. The gist of what he's getting at is that he got some answers, um, but what he was curious about was that he got multiple edits in a relatively uh, short amount of time. People edited his original question. No, uh, his, his answer. answer. So what he saw, it's a normal thing oh, on yeah, Stack yeah. Overflow. So, it, so people post one-line answers, being of being in competition. Yeah. People post one-line answers, right. and then they you immediately glasses, start editing them to make them better. Right. And he he even noticed that one of them, uh, after a couple of minutes, added a really interesting kind of edge case, and then that information magically uh, just instantly appeared in the other two answers. And yeah, oh, uh, they were copying each other. So it was very clear that they were yeah, copying yes. each other and kind of competing to over yeah. who could format it the best. Okay. So he he asked the question. It's all good. The fundamental question he sort of asked is how how many edits are normal on an answer? And I think um, oh. based on that anecdote, you might think it's a lot. And I, I think what it looks like is. Not every question has this experience. So some questions only get one answer and it's the right answer and people leave it alone. And in some cases, I think also you get a large number of answers right. and maybe the top two are getting edited, but the others kind of just go, ah, we're three, four, whatever, and don't yeah. bother. It looks like a quick scan of the data. I took a lot of random questions uh, since just from this year. The answer is essentially on average, roughly every other answer gets edited. So 50% of answers Yeah, so the average number of edits is actually 0.44 edits per answer. Um, yeah. The distribution's a little more interesting. Uh, 72% of answers don't get edited. Um, 19% get one edit, and then 9% get two or more. Okay. Questions get edited more, which kind of makes... That's a lot more than I would have thought. I guess I would have thought higher, but I was thinking of questions, I think. The questions do get more edits than answers, on average. Yeah. Because you get feedback. What about this? Can you clarify that? Because I was that? thinking there's a lot of answers that are just sort of, you know, they sort of fall below everybody's radar. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, but if, because answers more than questions, I think are more likely to come from regular right. users. Right. And I think, I don't know, speaking as myself, when I type an answer, I'm often, I'll put an answer in and then I often almost immediately go in and tweak a couple things. Like I mm-hmm. feel like I could have written it more clearly or whatever. I don't know. But questions get more. So questions are edited roughly once. So about half of questions get no edits. 25% get one, 13% get two, and then 11% get over two. Mm-hmm. Nothing too startling in there, but users want to know. There we go. Hey, if somebody wants to submit a question for the next yes. episode of the Stack Exchange podcast, where would they go? They can go to the URL that is about to be said by producer Alex. S.tk slash podcast questions. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, of course it yes. is. And you can, I believe, either record it or draw a picture of your question or just type it if you're boring. Draw a picture using... Um, draw a picture of a Siberian Husky and we'll feature it on the podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, the best picture of a Siberian Husky gets a t-shirt. That is true. <laughs> we, we will stand by Joel's statement. Uh, Best Siberian Husky submitted one, to the podcast. One other, I think, uh, submission that I, th- I think we should read about. This was not, not, not exactly a question. I'm not going to say who it came from, but we got this, uh, we got this in our, our support inbox. 
Um, and the question is kind of a, a good illustrative case for us. What I'd like to know is why I am getting your silly pop-up all day on my computer. My pop-up? Saying Stack Overflow at line 49. This oh. is insanity. And this is, is what it is doing to me every day. Yeah. Everything stops until I either exit out or click OK. Yeah. You need a new computer. I am an 89-year-old woman who just wants to use her computer I'm without sorry. interference. It's not a computer, what you have there. What Will you, you have there is a relic. get the heck off everything I'm working on on my computer? <laughs> I'm sick why, of your dumb pop-up. This is why we named the company Stack Exchange. Um, this is this because is, we didn't want to somehow be listed in the registrar of companies as the company responsible for the Stack Overflow. We we do we do regularly come up, I think, in people's like Facebook help search results. They find help about like Facebook programming on our site. So we get a lot of questions saying, "I can't log into Facebook. Please help me." Are directed to us. We do we do get those but in our email? This the was the first time, to my knowledge, we were accused of being responsible for a Stack no, Overflow error on happened, someone's computer happened before. But that was the first. It might have been the first time it was by an eighty-nine-year-old woman. That that's unusual. Um, and in her defense, she was actually very clear. She really laid out the specific error message. He actually gave us all the information the line we, would, number. we would need. We needed to answer her question. If only she had posted as a question instead of a... And so uh, the response is, what happened? You've probably written a loop somewhere that's not terminating. No, so it, check it ha- your code it, for a while loops, it's some sort loops, of, it's, a, it's virus or, or some, not, probably some like pop-up bar that she in, she's gotten installed that's causing an error in the yeah, page. That's why it's happening on all websites. We actually wrote back that it was not constructive and she should read the frigging manual, is what we told her. <laughs> <laughs> Closed as not constructive. Have you, uh, have you offloaded a Gravatar? Because <laughs> just with all the little diamonds that you have here, it's hard to really know. Uh, okay, you've been listening to Stack Exchange Podcast number 44. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Anything else I should announce? Alex, nope. what kind of stuff, like anything we should tell people to go to? Robert, where can people find you if they want to hear more about the age of context? If you can't find me, I don't know yeah, how, you're, uh, you're, how you're trying. <laughs> Just go to Google. Scobalizer.com. Scobalizer. Uh, go to Google and type Scobalizer anything. on Twitter. Scobal- Robert Scobal on Facebook. Uh, Scobalizer on LinkedIn, Instagram. Google and, Plus, um, and Tumblr. Or, yeah, <laughs> just or, don't worry. Robert Scoble so, will find just you. Just Google me somewhere. All Robert of Scoble. MySpace is now Robert Scoble. <laughs> yeah. uh, how many Twitter followers do you have? Uh, 300,000, something like oh 3.2 million on Google Plus. So That's way more than There are 3.2 million people on Google Plus? Yeah, 3. I don't know million, Google yeah. Plus is. Can you please tell them to follow me? I'm at Spolsky, and I don't have any followers. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want my followers. What uh, you want are the point. real followers who will actually click follow instead click of being things. gifted to you by the suggested user list. Yeah, Those are hard to get. Oh, that's really true. Hard I, I, Anil Dash complains about that all the time. He has even more followers than you, I think, because he was on the, he was kind of early, got 448,000, and he's like, they're yeah. worthless. None of them click on anything. They're, they're all like- They're all just know, fake attractive accounts. women. <laughs> I think they're little eggs. <laughs> With fake color. attractive eggs. Oh, maybe they're maybe when you fake, make eggs. a fake account that you're going to sell, it's got to follow some plausible people. And so. yeah, well, that, you know, it's funny. I, at Flipboard this morning, I was talking about this that now content systems are becoming filtered. So it's not enough to have followers that you actually have to get through the filter. Yeah. To get to somebody's page, right? Which means you have to have good content that gets people to like it, comment on it, share it, retweet it favorite it yeah. and and read it actually you know and th- their systems are watching all of those signals all of those behaviors to decide what gets through to other people and so that's even harder because <laughs> it's hard to come up with good content no no they just like. scrape it they just scrape random crap I-, I was noticing for a while like every single day when i looked at my at replies on twitter which is now called connect uh, yep. i would see somebody retweeting this thing that I, I don't even remember saying, which was something like, you know, pay attention to your customers, not your competitors, you know, startup quotes from Atspolsky. And just a different person was, was saying that every single day, quoting me. It was like my thing in quotes saying, you know, from Spolsky. And I don't know where they were all getting it from and what was causing this to retweet this. And suddenly I realized that somebody had gone and scraped a whole bunch of random content from the web and had a whole farm of fake Twitter accounts that were constantly retweeting all this random content that they had farmed from all over the web try to make them look like real accounts. So those accounts, when you drill down and look at them, they're tweeting things, they're saying things, they're talking to each other, they're following each other, they're behaving very much like real people so that there's no way to sort of detect them as being spam uh, when they actually go and do something like, you know, that they shouldn't be. I'm not even sure what, what they're doing. This, this, the, whole, 
whole thing is too complicated for words. <laughs> Joel, I think Joel, I think that I think you might yeah. be encountering real people no, no, no. for the first time. <laughs> no, no, they're not. They're not. I'll show you. I'll show you. We'll, we'll follow them. They're, remember that there's e-horse. Okay, books? look at the show notes. We will be posting links to several <sighs> fake Twitter accounts that horse. Joel has discovered. Do you know about he- horse ebooks? No. Just like Facebook for dogs. I would like to invest in this. It's a uh, check that check out the show notes. It's a Twitter account that posts things that are inadvertently hilarious, <laughs> but they're just like little little clips here. Here's one. Why is it called that, eHorse Books? It's horse underscore eBooks. Here's some recent tweets from horse eBooks. Themselves into a Saturday. We make excuses. We don't know what to do. We're greedy. Habit. How to act as an export. Not really getting what this. is happening to us right now. <laughs> you don't have to gulp. You have. That's been podcast number 44. It's now got 157,000 real started, followers. You started the ending and then Because you this it. algorithm that they chose for horse ebooks to just randomly grab little things from the internet to attempt to look like a real account is generating such amusing garbage that people actually follow this and laugh at it because it's almost Those like a obscure kind of Those were just series of poetry. random words. <laughs> they kind of were. What they are is they're, um, you know, they're five to ten word phrases chosen at random from around the internet and, and just pasted into a Twitter account. But one thinks nobody has ever been able to figure out what the hell this is uh, or, or where it comes like from. They've gotten you to devote quite some time to it, though. They, they actually do have a website, if you click through, that sells <laughs> books about horses. Anyway, this, this podcast has obviously gone on too long, but I already signed out. Are we still recording, Producer Alex? Yep. Unfortunately, we are. Thank we you very much, goodbye. Uh, Robert, for being on the show, uh, even though it degraded into uselessness towards the end. It was, it was fascinating at the beginning to get your perspective on the future. Thank you. And, uh, and I got to run, so okay. they're kicking me out of Flipboard here. Yeah. <laughs> I guess they're going to talk they're about flipping, something. <laughs> flipping, you out, flipping you out of Flipboard. All right, and I'm going to download all those apps that you talked about, so I, I too will be a, a member of the future if I can just wait long enough to get on there uh, on the apps. All right. Thanks, it. Robert. Great, thank you so much. Oh, thanks, Robert. Bye, Bye everybody. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Wait, sorry. I thought we were going to be talking about rap today. About what? I thought we were talking about rap and the issues facing the rap community today. <laughs> there, there, there was a suggestion at lunch um, <laughs> to talk about that. And then I realized that we were uniquely unqualified to talk about all the people that are unqualified to talk about rap.